Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> hello. And hello, Ryan. I, hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm not going to keep that up. And welcome to Dismembering Horror, specifically episode 148 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe. We're myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim <laughs> Aslin. It's right. <laughs> we talk about what, what it's so contagious. Uh, we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about an old film. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> if we did this whole episode like that in the poorest of poor? Whatever accent that was attempting to be. What accent you talking about, mate? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, wait, they didn't even talk like that in this movie. What? What is that? I'm just thinking about the the sort of the main bad guy. Yeah, He's yeah, He's got yeah, yeah, that, yeah. like, really d- distinctive, deep, crackly voice. Mark Lewis Jones as Quinn. Right. He, uh, he was in Last Jedi, dude. Oh, yeah, which I you just were, watched. You are just going to hand to me. All sorts of things going on. Okay, we aren't going to say more on the show, even though we sometimes do. You'll figure it out if this is your first time here. It's pretty casual. I'll just say just that figure much. it out. <laughs> and, uh, well, we're on the, a quest for uh, the unseen, the sight I mean, unseen by like us you, and all. If you clicked on it, you're, you know enough. That it's about horror movies. Right, I would assume. I don't know if there's more to it. But as I said, we'll we do it in other episodes. Um, but no, just I think it was because you mentioned this film, which I got to mention. Apostle from 2018 is the subject of this week's episode. It's a Netflix film from writer-director Gareth Evans of The Raid Films. Have you seen The Raid Films, Tim? I'm trying to... I've seen the first one 100%. I can't remember if I watched the second one, but I think I did. The second one, it expands it to even like... it feels like you're watching a godfather or something where it's this oh, big really? old maybe like, i didn't watch that one big then. drama combined with the uh the hmm. fight stuff okay okay cool so uh, yeah i didn't even realize it that's who directed and wrote this until after watching it i've seen both of those and tim because you mentioned the last jedi i've just me- been meaning to ask you on one of our episodes here you well i've been meaning to ask you on one of those episodes here and on a previous episode you mentioned how like you've only watched The Last Jedi like four or five times. So that maybe that means you like it. You said you weren't sure what to Mm. make of it. No, (laughs) it's not that I, I don't know, man. It's a, it's so mixed for me. I don't know what to think. Like I turn it on and I get excited because I like Star Wars and I like how stuff looks and I like the characters. And then I just get super conflicted throughout the whole movie because I'm like, all these things that I like are here, but I'm not enjoying it. And it pisses me off. But then I rewatch it to be like, well, what's my problem? Is it me? Is it the movie? And it's probably both, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. 
But like there are certain things that like I get where Ryan Johnson was aiming. And I just personally disagree with those choices. Like I think that he was and I'm not I'm not putting words in his mouth. He he sort of outright has said that he was trying to counter the fandom. And I'm like, that's that seems like the wrong philosophy to me. To be like, well, there's all this fandom and all these people have these expectations, so I'm going to actively work against them and make this other movie. With Without him being here to elaborate, I wouldn't want to like... I feel like it's more involved and there's more to it than it's yeah. that. Because I think, you know, you could say, well, it's against the fandom. But what that also really means is against... Uh, like maybe it's not against fandom and he's still trying to key into what Star Wars actually is on like a not so surface level, you know? Sure. Like in trying to give fans that, which I think with any good movie comes with subverting, uh, subverting expectations can be a part of that. I agree. I agree. Um, for some reason, that one in particular feels like more focus on subvert subversion than just simply trying to make the movie that you want to make. It feels like, uh, overly, uh, I'm doing a thing with my hands. It's like overly worked for that purpose rather than letting go of that altogether letting go of everything and being like, well, what's the movie that I want to make? And it, 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 I'd love to, I'd love to hear his take on this because I just don't know, obviously. But if the movie that we got is the movie that he really, really like thinks is the movie he would have wanted to see. Great. Like I totally get behind that, but it doesn't overtly feel that way to me when I watch it. It feels like a middle finger. Well, Ryan and I were talking at the Ryan Club, and so <laughs> wait, I, I can... wasn't invited. Sorry, Tim. I don't get I don't get an invite, even though my middle name is Ryan. Well, that wouldn't be fair because then you could get into the Tim and the Ryan clubs. It's first name only these clubs. You should know fair that. Enough, fair Remember enough. when you threw me away from the Tim Club? <laughs> That's right. No, um, we were talking Ryan Johnson and I, <laughs> and. Uh, Yes. Well, I think it's it's good to keep in mind the whole film, the theme is about, you know, failure and mm-hmm. subverting expectations. Yeah. So like the more that's in there, the better. But where I, 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 I guess where I agree with your complaint is more just on like a pretty minor basis, but it's still there. And I put the blame more so on the previous movie and all it, that's fair too. and all that it did. That's not very good. Like, and that Ryan Johnson is basically trying to course correct. For example, I like the direction with Luke's character where, you know, I think it makes sense and, you know, it's cool once you sort of know it and can follow it more like, you know, what happened with him Mm -hmm. and Kylo Ren. How he's a bitter old man. Actually gives something more to Luke's character. It's Mm -hmm. cool. Um, Yet, I think the, the way that it's set up is just too strong of like, he literally doesn't, talk to this like random girl who shows up at this island he's like literally slamming the door on her and not speaking to her but that's only to make work the weird like 
ending tag from the previous one. Like, I feel like, you know, I'd love to see the cut of this one where it's it's just less, it would work pretty well if you just cut in when she busts in on the door, her and Chewie. Mm-hmm. But then it wouldn't make sense with the tag at the end of The Force Awakens. So anyway, yeah. and I, I see it as that. I saw it as this most, it's a largely successful course correction, but then that was immediately steered back <laughs> with the third one. Well, that's just it. I think I, you know, I shouldn't lay all of this at, at Ryan Johnson's feet. It's, there's so many things involved in these movies and so many different people with input. And, you know, they try to have consensus, I think, but like you never really do. Yeah. And so you're getting pulled as the director. I mean, it was that, the we know that there was all sorts of weird political and like, decisions and course corrections and all sorts of stuff going on the whole time like so i think it's mired these these three films were mired in that and so you can't really blame one person for anything um but when you're i mean i think this is why the second and the third one don't work is they're starting at course correction both of those movies and like that's a terrible place to start like you shouldn't be trying to make a movie to correct another movie i that's mean a bad place i don't th- i mean yes but to get the blame on the first one i thought he he basically teed it right up for a third one that could have been great i know and then they course corrected again corrected quote unquote <laughs> right exactly um, they coursed no i will say he did <laughs> For what he was given, though, I thought, I mean, I think it's head and shoulders. The second one, Last Jedi, is just so much better than the other two. I think it's, I'm glad we got something. I don't know. I, I think it's really great with just like a few just little like quibbles for how it had to work with the first one aside. I, I will say this, and I doubt that this is Ryan Johnson. The scene with the horse racing on that, the gambling island. Yeah. I I hate it. <laughs> it ruins the movie for me. What's what's not to like? It's cool. It's not cool. It is the 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 creatures are fun. I don't like the creatures. They're like these weird like horse like like mammal thing. No, I don't know. I don't They're like interesting it. looking. I don't like the whole. I just don't like it. It's it 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 like reeks of the prequels and sort of this weird CGI set piece thing. For me, it was I like. Hated. It was it was weird the first like couple times, but I I don't know I really like it. It's an interesting corner of the Star Wars universe. We have that whole movie. Everything feels pointless. I don't. That's a big thing to say, but every sort of like storyline feels pointless. But like to me. yet again, and I think what, that's probably yeah that's purposeful. But that's why I fundamentally don't like the movie is because. I like purpose. I like character arcs to sort of move in a certain way. And in this movie, people make decisions, go after a thing, and then that thing means nothing when they get to the end of it. But that means something. But I don't like that. That's my point. The characters do get something. Well... We got a whole other movie to talk about here, Tim. I was just, <laughs> just take, wanted to take the opportunity to talk Star Wars with you. Since That's fine. You brought it up. Listen, we could do a whole series on Star Wars. We could do a, a whole sub like pod 
on just on the, all of the Star Wars movies. I was gonna say on just, got just a the, lot to say the about Canto the bite scene. <laughs> just the Canto bite. That's right. Canto bites. Well, talking about trips to places, uh, coastal places. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's our transition. Good one. We got 2018's The Apostle <laughs> to get to here. As I said, written and directed by Gareth Evans of The Raid fame. So should we just watch the trailer then? Get into yeah, it? Yeah, let's do that. All right, here we go. As I said, I'll say it again. Apostle. Thomas, your sister, she's gone. These people, they're blasphemers. Cult, a disease. Bring her home. Name Thomas Richardson. I dream of a world in which each waking day we rise equal. This island, it's our paradise. We have an intruder on our land, and we have to find him. Your eyes. They've seen things. Apostle. What'd you think, Ryan? What'd you think of this here movie? Like, what would be my rating for our rating system? Yeah, would you say to yourself, I would avoid this movie, I would stream this movie, I would rent this movie, or I would buy this movie with your own real cash money? Uh, Pretty, maybe only like a third of the way through, I gave this my... My my hearty, this is exactly what I'd want from a stream it movie. It's um it's of a certain kind of film where it's not going to uh I don't know, be be elevated to a certain level for me. Yet it is so what it is, and I can it it's just fun. I don't know, it felt like good, harmless fun. And a lot of that fun came from just the meat grinder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Touches like that where it would just it do just more enough enough more things that 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 makes any sense like rather than being totally just kind of all right and then he goes here and then he goes there it had uh flavors of uh nice touches throughout that were inventive and fun i agree yeah i said to my girlfriend we watched this together and i said when it ended i was like that movie was like a huge bucket of really good, fun, cool ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, I didn't think it was a good movie. Like, I left it being like, damn. Yeah. They 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 came close. They had all these really cool ideas. And it just never quite arrived in the way that I think it could have. It's, or maybe that I would have wanted it to. It's, But that would feel like such a back to the drawing board thing maybe for me or just not what it is. Because this felt to me like when you kind of tune in like to another Netflix, like one of their fantasy TV shows, sure. something that feels on the level of like a modern day like Xena or Hercules, sure. where it's just kind of like <laughs> sure. good, clean, supernatural, like suspense, yeah. character, drama, fun. And yeah, when you say uh, it's a whole bucket of things... I, uh, well, I guess to get into our summary here. Well, I was, I, so I'm a stream just to clarify yes. as well. Okay, great. Uh, I was very excited to hear your summary during this one because at a certain point when he like gets from point A to B to C, 
and I'm like, what, what is, what is all going on? You know, like <laughs> it's very, it's, it's, it's story heavy in the sense of you got a lot of little pieces mm-hmm. going on to put together and there's a mystery afoot and all that. Yeah. So I think I just thought of you following that and being able to report back on all that. Well, I think that's all, that's why I was like, Oh, so close to being so good. Because <laughs> it had that Because gun. it has the framework and the setup of a really fun creep show mystery that like with like some supernatural stuff and but it's grounded in a, a very real thing of like people's, you know, faith, religious, cult, sort of fervory, you know, blinders on to certain things like that that whole construct i love so there's like yeah i'll just say it again you said you said a bucket of stuff going on mm-hmm. and to provide my segment of the summary here before your kind of more okay. narrative summary this is where i come at too i realize when trying to think of and this is part of the sort of the point of our summary section is like what did how did tim and i view this once we step back away from it like what is it yeah so in a non-story sense, I was trying to peg the whole time exactly that. Well, like, what is this movie? Like, what genre is it even? Because, okay, it's mm-hmm. everything. It's like eerie investigatory cult intrigue is going on. It's a straight up like hostage for money situation with like a rescue situation. We got supernatural religious suspense folk horror. We got plant monster zombie ghouls uh, in a horror sense. We also have torture porn in a horror Mm -hmm. sense. Then in an action sense, we have chases, knife fights. Then we got character drama, like interpersonal family drama, small community drama. I mean, there's got to be more, like anything else you can... Period. Yeah, period piece, exactly. Um... Yeah, God, that's a lot. I mean, <laughs> right? It's all those things. <laughs> it's really that's maybe that's a detriment to it is that it's trying to do too many things, which can work it though. Can, but it seems unfocused to me. I think that was kind of where I ended up being like, oh, it's not quite like. Yeah, in order to do that, yeah, there has to be some kind of still consistency to itself that maybe wasn't there as much. I don't know. I think maybe there's a thread missing. So let's let's explain the 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 gist of the movie. A so Dan Stevens. Let's. I'm going to use their character names. Thomas Richardson. Thomas Richardson. I love Dan Stevens. By the way, this was my first time seeing him in something. I really liked him. Oh, good. Okay. So Thomas Richardson's uh, father's, you know, whatever person, very wealthy family. Um, They get a letter, a ransom letter from a cult saying, we have your daughter. Come with lots of money and and we'll give you your daughter back, I guess. And they give them a, uh, you know, a ticket of passage to go to this island where the cult hangs out this is on the british isles it's welsh i think and 1905 yeah i was like it's got to be right around the late 1800s early 1900s so yeah 1905 so 
the plan is send Dan Stevens in in his father's stead because his father is just totally whatever. He's lost it. He's he's out of it. And the plan is don't bring the money. Just go and like try to blend in with the flock, get information and see where they're keeping her and figure out a way to get her out of there, which is a pretty lame plan because it's like you're isolating yourself in a place you don't know with people you don't know. You don't know how they're holding her. Like, you know nothing. You're going in so blind. It's a really like not a great plan, but that's the plan. (laughs) Yeah. Also, Thomas is clearly suffering from trauma of his, you know, past and is, is he, is it absinthe that he's taking? It's some, it's either morphine, absinthe, some sort of thing that he is seemingly addicted to. He's recovering from his own crisis of faith still too. Right. So he's, he's, he's a bit of a mess. He's maybe not the best person to send on this venture. But he's the brother and the but son. But he's the only person, right? Yeah. So, so he goes very quickly. He, he's very keen, which is nice. He realizes that they've marked the ticket of passage that they've given him. Um, and so he, he sneakily swaps it out for somebody else's. Um, there's a lot of details like that in this movie, Tim. Right. So we got to get, I know, but I think that's, the, that's an important, just first one. Like he's a sneaky guy. He's, he's with it. So he's, you know, he's trying to stay on the level here and, 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 you know, fool them and not get outed. So he gets on the Island to find that this cult essentially believes that they were chosen there's three men who are running the cult that they they uh their ship crashed on this island and they realized that they were chosen by the spirits or the spirit of the island to like start this this cult this village whatever and the key element i guess to appeasing the island whatever spirit is to blood let the the villagers and feed that to the to the island we we come to learn that there's an actual specific entity a woman entity who's kind of like almost like um they call her a goddess yeah uh i would equate her closer to a um oh damn it what's it called a um i called her plant monster zombie ghoul that's yes they're called elementals in in some channels of lore so you know like a powerful magical being that's based around nature or the elements and meanwhile thomas is sort of blending in trying to figure out uh, where his sister might be. Almost getting caught. Totally. It's coming close. A uh, couple really exciting moments where he he dodges getting caught. But he's he's in a tough spot, right? He can't pry too much. And he, and his, he, he finds out where his sister is. It's essentially that she's there, she's alive, and she's being held captive. And But he can't 
go save her. He can't like really do anything or else they'll know he's who he is. And they they become suspect. Well, they know that the, that he is on the island. They just don't know which new villager is him. Yes, they so know a, there's a traitor amongst them. Right. And okay, now it gets it sort of to me this is where it sort of devolves. You get a couple too many things going on. When the cult leaders learn that he's on the island, they they're like we have to root, root him out, but we don't know which guy it is. But when we find him, we'll know that he has the money for the ransom that we asked for. Because we need money to sustain, because the island goddess isn't providing what she used to provide, and our crops and our animals are not like thriving, and we're gonna die of the island not ab- abiding or like not providing for us. But our solution is to get money. So it's a little. It seems a little misplaced to so, me. I'd say true to the themes and uh, messages. <laughs> sure. And so, God, how how do I go from there? Uh, uh, basically, <laughs> the power dynamic of the three cult leader guys shifts, and the psychopath of the three just goes apeshit and goes unhinged and starts to kind of lay waste to a bunch of different people. Um, Thomas gets caught. He gets tortured. We find out that this new cult leader guy, I mean, one of the three, but the, the, the psycho of the three who's now taking over, he had been kind of the one at the beginning when they had discovered this, this elemental witch zombie earth flower lady. (laughs) Yeah. That he was like, Oh, if you feed her blood, uh, the crops grow better. So let's keep her in captive and force feed her with like animal blood. And then that turns into human blood. And then that turns into it's not working well anymore. So there's this whole folklore through line of like, you know, if you try to control nature, it's going to like bite you back kind of thing, I guess. But, like, he also, like, Silent Hills it and has, like, a wickerhead guy who's, like, keeping the elemental captive but also has a meat grinder for torturing people and a, like, weird, like, wood bush house. And it's just, like, it's so many different things. <laughs> yeah. So, ultimately, all of this leads to Thomas discovering the elemental, having it out with wickerhead, the grinder. Uh, the grind the meat grinder. All of this sort of the, fight scene stuff happens. The grinder is what Wickerhead's credited as. Is <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, he, fair enough. He is the grinder. You know, they're also they also credit one guy as like the bell toller or like the bell guy. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, so God, this is long. How it ends up is that the elemental and, and Thomas Richardson have a moment. She imbues him with her powers. He burns her. The island starts to basically burn. And all and the um the cult leaders all have it out with each other. And the flock escapes on boat and like the flock of people. The flock of villagers <laughs> yeah. in the cult all like run away. 
and leave the island. And then Thomas Richardson becomes the new elemental and like, whatever. Yes. Grows a flower out of his forehead. He's uh, getting um, uh, absorbed into the grass. There you go. (laughs) Boom, bada, boom. All right. There's a whole like B story kind of plot thing with like, a ro- kind of romantic interest. She's played by Lucy Boynton, who I really like. Boynton. Um, she, we've seen her in stuff. She was in uh, um, what's it called? The the oh God, the one that Oz, um, Osgood Perkins directed. What was I'm called? the pretty thing that lives in the yeah, house. She's the ghost. Cool. Um, and there is. Conveniently, all of the kids of the three cult leaders have this weird intertwined B story thing going on, and that kind of spurs some stuff on. So that's interesting. Yeah. Great. It's this whole big happy community that becomes not so happy. It, yeah. It feels like an attempted kind of meshing of like Midsommar, the village, the Wicker Man, the Wicker Man, uh, Silent Hill. <laughs> I guess. And, not really. Uh the rage. And the Yeah, kinda. I mean, you had a knife fight. I know. There's like you weird had, action scenes you had, that like, come out of nowhere. Gun fu scenes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you had like all the like what yeah. uh um uh spear fights. The spear like, stuff. It's cool. Yeah. So Yeah. A lot there's a lot going on. Cool. All right. Well we should should we move on then talk about what even else is happening? Uh, on top yeah. of all that, yeah, 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 great, yeah, great. Yeah. Let's all right. do that. And our next section, what worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? Well, you already mentioned. You're a pre-existing fan of Dan Stevens. Mm-hmm. I'm a new fan of his, specifically for this exact kind of story and character. Like, period piece. Like, I'd love to see him in something that this is pretty close to, but something like Lovecrafty or Cosmic Oh horror. my God, he'd be so good for that. Right? But just like on, but like discovering a mystery along the way. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, he, he, a good mix of uh, introverted, extroverted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was a fun, um, fun person to sort of have our be our our main character for this all. Yeah, he's great. Cool, great. Um, I like him a lot. I, I mean, look, I actually all of the actors in this, I I really like Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen is so good. He's so good. Yeah, he's always been so good. Um, Especially, but, I'll say, with when his character is making the turn yeah. at the end, he sells that of starting to question their mm-hmm. ways. He made that feel uh, fluid. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think commendable cast for sure. Um, I love the look of this movie. Like, it feels like the appropriate sort of scope. Everything is beautiful, but dirty at the same time. It's like perfect for period. <laughs> like they nail that down t- for me. That just reminds me of my favorite movie quote of all time. It's Dennis Hopper says it in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> okay. He says, you know what I love about mud? 
it's clean and dirty at the same time. Wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> like this movie. <laughs> just like this movie. Um, yeah, man. I mean, there's just a bunch of really beautiful shots in it that are just just awesome to look at. I mean, very and vibe, man. Yeah. The vibe is so good. Starting from the opening shot, I believe, or close to the opening, where it's this sweeping, like Harry yeah. Potter-esque train yeah. shot. Yeah. I feel like that's the same train. Yeah. I it mean, probably it's the is, same right? one they all use. It has to be. Yeah. yeah. Where is that? It's probably in like Aust- Austria or something like that. It seems pretty close to being Scotland, England, something like no, that. No, I mean that train, that particular train. Yeah. You think it's up there? Yeah. Maybe it is. Anyway. We could find out. Very scenic. Um, yeah, I love that. I love it. Uh the look, the vibe, the the just the feel of it. The, there's a there's a forest like silhouette shot, probably I don't know, halfway through that I just was like like out loud was like, ah. Oh, Yes, that looks so good. <laughs> well, and if we're talking visuals here, uh, and I was saying, you know, it's just enough where this makes me be able to give it like a, yeah, a good stream, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of just fun, creative touches, like a lot of camera angles, where let's say I loved it when, what's the kid's name? Um, Jeremy. Jeremy is getting his torture scene. And uh, there's the camera mounted on him when he's getting set down. That looked cool. And like that and other torture capture scenes where the camera goes completely on its side, mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. shows some point of view things we're messing with. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah, like I think that Gareth Evans is a very talented director, visually in particular. Clearly, we know he's talented and good at selling action. Um, and and I think that those moments that are in this movie are really well done. Yeah. It's, I'm not saying that they're necessarily the right thing for the movie. We can talk <laughs> about that later. No, but it's, it's always where it's just enough to get you to sort of sit up in your seat a bit. Like in the, oh, yeah. I guess I've been calling it a knife fight, but like the razor fight, whatever it is. Yeah, it's both. Like during that, there's a moment where they just sort of have, you know, um, the the power struggle exchanges where, you know, oh, he hits him. But then I, I think it's like he starts, doesn't he get his fingers a bit with it? And then that sort of turns the table. I don't even remember. Mid-fight. But it's a very, yeah, it's a very facile fight. Yeah, but just the, the good little moments that bring you extra sort of uh, cringe and and reversals and all that. It's all about the reversals, man. If you wanna if you wanna learn how to sell the, you know, the progress of a scene, and that could be any scene, but in particular action scenes, you gotta just get really good at reversals. Yeah, it's the oh I'm winning, oh shit I'm screwed, oh I'm winning, oh shit I'm screwed, but now I'm winning, but now I'm screwed, <laughs> but now I'm winning. Yeah, fun fun little twist like. Uh, when he's, there's that, I guess, suspense scene where he's, we think he's going to get caught because he doesn't know the island's prayer oh, or him. So good. Yet the guy right before him is also there as a covert op. Uh, assassin. Assassin, <laughs> yeah. So the guy before him also coincidentally doesn't know the him that he's supposed to report when they're looking for the traitor amongst them. So, uh... That was, yeah, I guess it's an example that. of a fun reversal. But, and that too, that just another great uh, violent gore moment of 
God, that was so good where it's like he simultaneously gets stabbed by like five different spears and just to see them all go in at the same time from different angles. It's like, amazing. Yeah, good stuff. It's, yeah, <laughs> I think this dude's talent is is in selling the visceral nature of like movement and and sort of action, I guess. Like, I I felt you could like the the image is ma- is making me feel a thing inside my body, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Like when you can accomplish that, I think that's that's an amazing skill to have. Starts pretty uh, starts off like that too with when he first gets on the boat at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I felt that with he very Jesus like picks up the baby goat, yep, uh, or sheep, lamb, whatever it is. And then the other guy t- picks it up and tosses it off the boat in the stormy ocean. And he's like, it's God's will or something like that. Right. What, yeah, what was set out to be should be carried out or whatever, something like that. Yeah. But I think that was the first moment that made me go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, there's so many good elements and moments throughout the whole movie. Um, <laughs> the the tor- the the head what do you even call this device the the head drill it's a, a drill and a vice that is that whole scene it's great is it's so effective right it's it's great because it's one of those scenes where it's so ridiculous you're kind of like how are they even this is also specific. Like they, they're doing all this. They built all this, but it it completely works because oh no, this is a religious uh, ritual of theirs. So it can be as specific or right. weird as they deem what as normal. Well, and we know mm-hmm. because we watch Texan, yeah, that these devices are not were not unusual for the time no. either. Like these were like things they were they existed the second they 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 like pulled out the table and i saw one of the like leg vice clamp things i was like oh no we're in trouble i like immediately flash back to so yeah it worked so well in the visceral sense of getting clamped down getting his head squoozed or crushed just (laughs) enough where he's still alive but you see we get a point of view shot of the blood coming into his field of vision bursting in his eyes yeah Yeah. um and then, of course, then shaving the uh, hole, uh, a spot in his head to insert the drill. But yeah, because you don't want it to get gummed up with hair. No, of course not. Yeah, they've run into that before. Now they know. <laughs> this right. is how you do it. Uh, so the visceral side, it's there. It works. It's great. You like the little pointy hat guys? <laughs> yes. And then what makes it is the guys surrounding them, just the sort of the religious uh, dogmatic just stoicism of these robed men just staring around, approving mm-hmm. of this, standing around, staring, approving this. But it's the context around that too that makes the scene so so good. Just yeah. on this, just this this deep, just just so messed up level. The context of who's killing who and why, because we have a father just killed his daughter for getting pregnant out of wedlock mm-hmm. and blames it on the... Go on. I, I want to add a thing. Go on. Blames it on uh, her 
the the boy she's in a tryst with, uh, J- Jeremy. Yeah, tryst. Yes. Yes, it's appropriate what among this island, I think. Um, <laughs> but then, and then he, yeah. Th- so he's the so he is. He's specifically what's the word when they put in the. Um, when they drill out his head and put the little like, is it a rose petal I think in it? It's a rose petal, yeah. Right. They say they say it's a symbol of purity. So we have like a father kills his pregnant daughter, and then the father of the child he kills him in like this way that is all wrapped up in this idea of purity. So it's it's like I, I don't know, just as far as. W- playing on the whore. I mean, I, I'm not in this situation, but whatever it is of having to like being a father and letting her go to the world kind of thing and looking at her, accepting her as a woman, it's all, it's very loaded with all these themes. Well, there's, yeah, there's his this, precious angel who's been right. tainted and forever besmirched that he, so much so he has to kill her. But and there's a the deep, boy. there's a deeper, darker undertone too, though. All of that is true, but we also know that part of the island is killing the offspring of the people on the island, right? It's it's cursing them, so to speak. So we have this scene earlier on where a sheep is giving birth and the, the lamb has turned inside. And this dad, the same guy, I forget his name, Quinn, um... Quinn is like reaching up in that sheep to to turn the the lamb the right way and pull it out and like you know save it and when he does it's it's already been eviscerated presumably by the island goddess right so the curse he knows is he well he believes that that curse is going to happen to his daughter's baby as well and so he thinks he's sort of he's upset in his mind, not just because she like had sex out of wedlock and got pregnant, but because the consequence of getting pregnant on the island is that her baby will be cursed and she and the baby will die. So he's saving her from that future death by killing her. Like it's really dark and layered and like twisted. I didn't, I, I follow that, but I just didn't get that that would be his concerns at the time. He, he says it. Okay. He, he says, you don't, like, you don't understand, like, you've, I can't remember the exact language, but it's something to the effect of, like, you, what's inside of you is, is like, cursed, is, is you know, whatever, it. so whatever. It's, it's playing with the whole idea of if you have a baby out of wedlock, then it's cursed, but in this sense, it's also a more literal yeah. way to, it's, to extrapolate that. Yeah. It's a little double, we're sort of doubling up on themes here, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be criticized. But yeah, there's there's many layers to what's going on in that scene. And I think it's cool. Quinn certainly got his comeuppance at the end. His death, that was pretty great. Remember, it's where... I, I, I remember, <laughs> Ryan. What did you think I of it? I wish we had watched this together because I was very vocal. Oh! <laughs> there was a lot of that. <laughs> well, it was great. He was uh, yeah. flayed, you could say. Yeah, you could say. You could say that. Knife 
drag through the body, I guess. Pretty sweet. Yeah. The uh, To get back on some of those themes, I liked what it ended up being with, uh, there's a quote at the end. Uh, I think it was the main, our, our main guy who said it, Thomas. But pointing out how they're using the goddess, they said something about using her as a machine more than a goddess. Mm. And then that's sort of what I got from like that was their misinterpretation of the of the not the runes, but the um, the cave paintings or whatever. Right. Where yeah. they immediately treated this uh what they had to do was sacrifice others and cause and uh sacrifice animals, people, whatever. But really, they just had to respect her and follow her wishes. Because we see it at the end, it was interesting, and I liked mm-hmm. this, how they're, it's not like she's there going, blood, blood, blood. They're like almost force-feeding her through a funnel. Almost. They, <laughs> they are, are, yeah. Quite literally. <laughs> so, again, that's, that, I don't know, it just reminded me of that treating uh, people, animals, nature, mm-hmm. all that as just sort of something to be exploited for resources and as if that's justified because that's just the given. Like we can yeah. only be in a relationship with nature as something to, uh, you know, it's unsustainable versus sustainable. I love I love this this whole sort of construct or idea or theme or whatever that this, the irony of it is so great. You have a entity that gives life to through nature, and you are killing life and nature to feed the thing to bring back life and nature. It's just so stupid and ironic, and I think that there's sort of this deeper feeling of like when you try to use this blind yeah, like when you try to use a means to an end blindly for your gain, you completely lose sight of what the hell is going on. Like in the name of, of worship or, or whatever it is, dogmatic sort of ideals. It's just so perverted. What's cool. Yeah. Completely lose sight. But also I liked how we did have some of the characters, Michael Sheen and the women in this who, they they know something's wrong at the same yeah. time. So it's sort of this festering like, well, just because I don't know what's wrong doesn't, you know, it's it's a way to excuse like, because just because you don't have a suggestion of what to maybe immediately do to fix the problem, it's sort of hard to to fully embrace that. No, well, whatever the better option may be, we know that this is wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, and then And then, of course, then we had Quinn as the doubling down guy who was a uh, representative of no, this is the way to do it. And I'm, this is the, sh- the ship I'm going to go down on. Well, and he definitely sort of seems to represent the, the almost, um, I guess, would you categorize him? He seems more in the sadomasochism. Is that appropriate to say with him? Like he believes in, you know, torture and harm and force to get an outcome. But as, but just as like, an I guess extension of, is an, he taking pleasure in it? I don't know. I see it all as an extension of an institution, mm-hmm. you know, whether he's taking pleasure in it or not. I'm, I'm not sure. Cause he's, he's knife guy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's his thing, his weapon of choice. It's like shown 
well, I don't know, three or four times before an actual fight where he's like, get, I don't know if you could say he's getting off, but it seems like he's enjoying that his knife is his thing and he likes to cut throats. We get that very clearly yeah. pretty early on. So whatever that really means, he's, at, at the very least, he's devoid of of sort of human empathy. I think it's, you do see, like, like, like let's look at the scene where we have some kids and adults, like, literally poking at the oh, captured yeah. sister. That's right. Uh, treating her, you know, as this is an other to be made fun of. This is a monster. This is not us. This is something to be. Yeah. Who's, it's, who's it's misery. Lesser than it's, yeah. you know, so subhuman or whatever. Th- their misery is to be laughed at. Uh, and enjoyed in a perverse way. Right. So I think, so, so I don't know, it's sort of like yes or no to your question, where I think he gets pleasure in sort of whatever the idea of like, you're doubling down on what's correct to you. It's sort of like reinforcing what I'm doing is right in a way. Hmm. But at the same time, you got to assume there's some sort of human level too that's, uh, I don't know where it is bad for him at the same time (laughs) well it's so interesting to me because like this is a very strange concept to me because in my mind the metrics of right and wrong do not override the metrics of harming someone and in for him the metrics of harming someone are completely enmeshed with the metrics of right and wrong. Yeah. And so the, to me, that's where you, like I would personally classify that as a total lack of any humanity or empathy toward humanity. Yeah. Right? Like he believes that slitting somebody's throat is just a matter of right and wrong. And I'm like, yeah, but you're killing somebody, right? Like you're killing them. Do people deserve to be killed in the name of what you believe in? I feel like he's very, yeah, I mean, he's obviously very hard on the yes. You know, He's super hard on the yes. And that's that's wild to me. And I don't like, look, I'm, there are people in the world who that's their belief. I'm, I disagree with it for me. Like I look at that and I go, that's, that's, not okay. I mean, and that's what the rest of the villagers get hip to. It's like, this just doesn't, you know what? Maybe killing isn't the answer always. <laughs> right. Which is interesting because this power dynamic that the three men, the cult leader guys, uh, Malcolm Quinn, and who's the other, what's the other one? The sort of, the Jeremy's father. Do we know what his name was? Uh, Malcolm. No, that's. No, right. Malcolm that's Quinn. That's a. And Frank. Frank. Oh, yeah. It's the lame name. Frank. 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 So this this construct I like, even though it's a little... Hmm. Maybe it's that it's just not fleshed out. But it's it's a little contrived, I think, to have the three... Um, the three patriarchs. Maybe not. Maybe it's not contrived, but have the th- the three main characters that we follow uh, have three kids that are intertwined and become main characters as well. Maybe that's not contrived, but it seemed a little convenient to me. Um, 
but I guess it's a convenience. It's an efficiency <laughs> for, for the sake of the story. Um, but I like this weird triangle of leadership. I think it's smart to do that in threes for, mm. for, for storytelling. Well, if we had Malcolm representing, Michael Sheen representing the, the one who changes but knows what something's wrong the whole time, and then we have Quinn as the hard, devout, evil guy, what does Frank kind of represent if you do think the trio is justified i think so i think malcolm is the top of the triangle and quinn is the hard dogma on the left let's say it doesn't really matter bottom point of the triangle and frank is the soft dogma where it's like i don't think he's he like i think he believes in what's going on but his tactic would not be let's jump right to killing people. Right. He's the one who saves his son. Yeah. He's after like, catching him in the second. act. Yeah. And he's, I mean, you could also look at it as sort of the doubter, the, the, the non-doubter and the one in, who's caught in between. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think Frank is much more prone to saying we've lost our way and going maybe we should stop. Whereas Quinn is like, we've lost our way and we need to double down hard. And Malcolm's going, "Mm, let's just get out of (laughs) here. What should we do? Like, no, there's a solution. Like we can, I can fix it. He can't fix it. (laughs) I liked though, uh, you know, just even if it was a lot in the end, I liked that it ended up being sort of the scale of the downfall of the whole community. Like it wasn't yeah. just like like he kind of gets in and gets out and da da da. The movie built to this. Uh, the repercussions were sort of as big as you could get for this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, appropriately so. Yeah, get the whole. You can't have that community. Like cults don't end well. Right. Well, just that right? they went <laughs> with a larger story being told in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, man. There's a lot of, it's it, like, I, I guess I'm kind of a broken record, but there's so many good things. <laughs> and there's a but to those two. <laughs> there is, there is. But like, the good things are cool. The whole underground, like, cave system. <laughs> yeah. I was whatever, whatever the hell is so good. Right. The like river of blood and, and like bone. Yeah. And oh, how it, it explodes at the end outside of the yeah. rock face on the cliff. That is sweet. <laughs> what a great scene. It's like <laughs> triggering all of my deep, deep like discomforts. Claustrophobia, drowning, uh, like um, germ, you know, germ dirty, like gross. Like I don't like like going through poo or something. It's it's the worst, right? So those are all things that like are really, really deeply at the core of what makes me uncomfortable. Go and I was like, man, he's going through it. And then a witch jumps out. Yeah, a witch jumps out. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I mentioned it earlier, the kids and adults poking at the sister. That for me was the only yeah. like genuinely sort of disturbing, That's scary- upsetting 
moment. Yeah, because based yeah. in an upsetting place. Yeah, for sure. And then I love that though because he he's so screwed. He can't like it's the same thing. Like imagine being trapped in a place where you are having to watch somebody you care about be messed with, tortured, potentially killed, and you can't do anything about it. That's my worst that's fear. True ter- that's terrifying. Yeah. So great. <laughs> yeah. Effective horror right there. Like you want to lean in on something. Something about it be extra demeaning when the kids are in on it too. Like it's just the yeah. whole community is. Yep. Uh, this is where we get into a little bit of both works and didn't territory yeah. for me where like you say, the witch coming out screaming, the <laughs> uh, the funny, the wicker basket head guy, uh, the grinder <laughs> as he's known. Listen, as far the, as I'm concerned, he's known as Wickerhead. <laughs> Wickerhead. And then uh, the the goddess herself. Like, all these elements, this is where I said it's fun and cool, but, like, at the level of just, I don't know, like a, a Netflix afternoon watch. Yeah. Of some some fan, fun fantasy yarn. It wasn't actually scary, any of these things. No. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, when... Uh, when the blood drips through the floor <laughs> at one point. And it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the noises it makes. I was, I, sorry, I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> its own kind of appeal yeah. that I uh, can appreciate and enjoy. But at the same time, if I'm sitting down for like a legit scary experience, it could have been done a different way. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's fun on a visceral sort of immediate level, but, it doesn't kind of hold up long term as you go through the movie. You're kind of like does not hold weight. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, cool idea, well, cool execution. Since that was a transitionary a bit, are you good to transition? Or you have I anything think so. else? So there's worked? probably other things, but generally that that pretty well covers it for me. Great, yeah. and we shall move on for Apostle with our next section here. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) I mean, it's weird to say, I guess, to pick up what I was kind of just saying. Mm. It's weird when it feels like it's just a taste thing where I don't know if it didn't work. It would have been a different movie, but it just could have been actually scary if they had gone with a different kind of approach to some of the horror moments. But again, like I had fun with it for what it was. So whatever. Yeah. I just think that they're unsupported. Yeah. Like that those things kind of come out of nowhere and, and it's like, I guess we'll just, we'll just go along with it. I mean, I'm kind of talking about Wickerhead. Yeah, I'm just I'm talking about Wickerhead. Like it's fun, it's ridiculous. But he's there's making no noises. context for it whatsoever. He's it's making just like, no, okay. It's just a cool, weird thing, right? But we could, you could have somehow, not no pun intended, woven in <laughs> some context for Wickerhead's existence. We kind of get it's just some follower who's but assigned we we, to the do, goddess. Do we? But do we? For me, it's less like it's okay if it's somewhat vague. It's more just the there's the approach where 
it makes noises like blah, blah, or not. I think you could have very simply tied it in by... Actually, this is true for the torture, town torture, kid torture scene too. It it all kind of feels like it comes out of left field. Now, it doesn't entirely come out of left field because we're on this island where there's a cult. So, fine. But, like, I do think there's benefit and there was room for this to pre... I don't know what the word would be to to kind of preempt us a little bit with a smaller version of these scenes. So early on, when Thomas gets there, we should see us. We should have a scene where a villager does something that is doesn't that 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 goes against the dogma of appeasing the island. And we see them suffer some pretty intense consequences that maybe seem a little over the top. And it would just be him going, oh, this is, we're in some deep shit here. Like, this is, the these guys are kind of unhinged. And in doing that scene, you can have the executioner be established as a guy who not, who doesn't wear the wicker head, but like wears a, a hood or whatever, mm-hmm. right? We can establish that there's a villager there that is the sort of right-hand torture guy to the three leaders of the cult, and he's taken a little bit of enjoyment out of this torture. So that later we can, you know, Thomas, could, in his search for his sister, could see that guy, the hooded guy, take his hood off and put his wicker head on. And we go... Oh, we know who this guy is now. We have context for who he is. The way the movie presents it is we just turn the corner and Wickerhead standing there bloody <laughs> bloody shirtless next to the woman. We go, uh, whose side is that dude on? Is he is he the goddess's like like lackey or is he a part of the cult? Like who is he? You can solve that really easily by having some context for who that dude is early on in a way that also tells us the threat of the of the cult. When when the point is that it's just a weird creepy guy thing, I don't necessarily need that context. For me, I guess yeah, I'll just I'll just say it again point being it's is is he the wicker head man's a good example of is it handled in such a way where it's like a boo scary kind of thing like at Horror Nights where it go, go blah, blah, blah. It's that. Or is it actually being creepy, you know, or presented in a way that feels actually creepy, which it's not for me. Here's, an, here's another very simple way to do this because I love the context of there are weird things afoot that are going on behind the scenes and Thomas by sneaking out at night is going to see some of those things. So just have him, you know, being sneaky and, and like looking around corners and see Quinn giving a direct order to Wickerhead yeah. in, in the woods. That That's is all an introduction I need, to him. Yeah, That's I, all I need. I'm I need the context that. that Quinn and Wickerhead are of the same, cut from the same cloth. That there's a hierarchy going on here, and these two 
kind of like killing people or at least torturing them or both. Or don't even think about it. Right. It's just they're just doing what they do. Like we want to see that, I think, as an audience. And the way you get that is to see it through the eyes of the dude who just showed up. I mean, this whole movie is just fish out of water, right? That's the that's the fucking construct we're living in. Fish out of water. All information should be gathered through the eyes of the fish. And then we're off to the races. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's there's a long period of time in this movie where we're just seeing Thomas kind of exist. And the story itself isn't really being pushed forward. It's kind of just him like, observing things so there's a i think there's a a misstep in how his character kind of like carries forward things happen that he observes rather than him doing things that lead to him learning more it's weird because that can be a fun segment or chunk for this kind of movie i totally agree just before more happens but maybe tied into felt a little on the long side yeah it's it's a tough construct too because of the the horror of what we said that is working that he can't do certain things here <laughs> I like but it's it's a tricky balance here you go and the thing with this is rather than being a certain balance that was they were just throwing in all the ingredients like we said that yeah and so like what we just said with with Thomas you can have that sort of just creeping around stuff and it feels like, okay, it's not wasted time somehow or it right. doesn't need to be doing more at once. But the issue with this is how much it's trying to do with the other characters. Like you said, like how you mentioned earlier, it's an inst- interesting uh, dynamic with these three heads of this community and that their conflict and whatnot. But then what was missing with that, it felt like, we're still somehow not, that wasn't as fleshed out as it could be to get as involved as we wanted. So this really felt like to me, it could be either, it, you could just not have Thomas and have it be a story of just this this cult that yeah. uh, starts getting this inner conflict. Could be some some the outsider that's already there, but doesn't get, you know, we don't need to know them as a character. Totally. Or just have it be more Thomas's perspective. And these are all more the, the the other characters more ancillary. He gets to know a couple of them, but it's still like all through Thomas. This got to be where it's kind of on this epic scope kind of story, which I don't think necessarily behooved it as interesting as the ideas were. Well, and then there's, I think that the attempt from a character arc with Thomas is that you have a person who has lost their faith and sort of thrown it aside, decided, okay, because of this experience I have had that was really traumatic, it led me to to believe that there is no God. And putting him in a circumstance where, this is where it gets really murky, but I, I get the attempt. You put the person who has lost their faith into an environment that is all based on faith. And you, so the the conflict is built in right away. He 
believes the opposite of what the cult believes. They're faith-based. He has lost his faith. Well, and I like that it was that he's his faith turned to all the negative aspects of humanity. And Sure. Yeah. But the 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 synthesis of those two things that those two things being at odds with each other is that there is magical like an actual magical being that holds the key to um uh fruitfulness i guess on this particular island which subverts the whole idea of christian faith of su- like like that opening quote uh, over the mantle, something about suffering, yeah, I don't and remember, finding Christ but... only in suffering, something right. Like that. And it's like, oh wait, there's this other thing. There's a whole other magic that is not Christianity, and I think the attempt is there to sort of have his character through losing his faith, through being f- facing faith based Christians learning that there's an actual there's this other thing that he can regain his faith in a new context and become the new context right like he becomes the the being of the you know the magical being of the island being not bean <laughs> he's planted in the ground but yeah. he is kind of a bean right that's cool but the story is not woven tightly around that idea enough for me to 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 feel like I'm holding on to it where I go, oh, damn, cool. It's not enough about him. And I'm not saying the movie should be about him. But if you're going to make that the sort of the conceit, like the central like thesis of, of the character, I think you got it make a choice you got to make it about that and have that driving everything or not and this movie is like we sort of have said there's too many moving parts (laughs) yeah like early on when we get that the moss is dying like dies you know right in front of us unnaturally right you kind of go okay well noted for later i guess right what Uh, yeah what's that mean (laughs) and then it does come back up later when uh, I mean, when we get what's actually going on with the nature goddess, um, which I will say, the that's really when I first like really perked up in my seat was when we first see the nature goddess, uh, zombie ghoul woman, which. whatever she is. Which, <laughs> yeah, but that's actually that is right there that that crystallizes the problem. We can't even define her. I'm okay with that. It's but we we're using fifty different terms, but that means it's an original thing. That's cool. Does it? I don't think it. I don't know. I feel like it. It's too many general things that don't coalesce into a thing. Maybe because of how I don't like the the with the monster noises it makes. Yeah, but <laughs> but here's the thing. Like I think ultimately, and I hate to do this because I think it's a little. I don't know maybe a pedestrian way to to look at film. But Midsommar is very concisely doing what this movie could have done. You have a person who lost her faith in humanity, goes into an environment that has a totally antithetical view of humanity to where she is at, and those two things 
synthesize into her accepting this other way of looking at humanity, which is what she was fighting against at the onset. She accepts this new way of looking at the world and at humanity and is happy for it. Yeah. This movie almost exactly tracks with that, but it doesn't work because we don't see the world through his eyes in the same way that we see the world through Danny's eyes in Midsummer. Mm-hmm. There's, there's these other weird sort of in pieces and just shit going on. That's just, it's too many things. <laughs> yeah. It it's a could, bummer. It could have been, maybe if it was a... I, I'm not saying make Midsummer either. I'm no, That's no. not what I'm saying. I'm wondering if, I was about to say, if this was a show, you could kind of give it the time to all these different mm. aspects. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But it's not good enough where I'd want it to be a show at the right. same time, yet also it would be better as a show. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like if you're going to get into the nitty gritty of each character, make that choice and expand. But if you are trying to make a feature, be concise with the nitty gritty. Like you can't, it like you got to be, it's tough. You got to pick and choose your battles of how much you want to lean into each character's like subplot story. Yeah. Or if we need sort of do we need this many scenes of where he has to be <laughs> creepy door opening do we need this many scenes where he uh like like when he's on the other side of that um that that hatch of an opening and he's waiting for you know he senses the other guy so there's that whole face off mm-hmm. or similarly then with the um the uh when the daughters like trapped in the that that little room and the Quinn's outside of it and puts his finger over the right, hole. Right. Just like there's so many moments like that in this movie where it's a sort of a random moment of suspense that is there just for that. Yeah, like yeah, it's interesting. They kind of pad out character moments for effect, but it it actually ends up, I think, undercutting the movie because if you if you need to establish that Quinn is a overbearing dogmatic person and father and that's affecting his relationship with his daughter just give us that scene early give it get it give it and get it out of the way so that when we see her later like having a tryst with Jeremy we immediately go yeah yeah she would be that she's rebelling. I get it. But we get it. It's padded out differently in sort of this weird, long, drawn out way that makes us kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't feel concise. See, tryst, it's a good word for that. I love right. it. It's, great. <laughs> it's, um, I didn't even know Jeremy was the son of Frank until the like way late in the movie. Like, that's a problem. No, right. Cause like that scene, I just used as an example you're expanding on. It's, it doesn't add anything new to their character at all. Right. That's why you said, like, just do it up front or, and or don't have it later. It doesn't I mean, it, need it doesn't to, add anything. Yeah, it doesn't need to be some, like, discovery halfway through the movie that Jeremy is Frank's son or that, um, oh, sh- what's Lucy, Lucy uh, Boynton's character's name? Right. Um, that she's Malcolm's daughter or that, Fionn, Jeremy's girlfriend, is Quinn's daughter. Like, 
establish it right away. Just do it, give yeah. A, get, get, like, you have a scene in the church. All you had to do is in that scene when Malcolm is giving his whatever service, you have the families up front and center. We go, oh, okay, Just, we've established the hierarchy of who's on this island. Efficiently, clearly, yep. No problem. Then we get it. Then we know who we're playing with. We know the players of the story. We know the hierarchy and the power dynamic in one very clear, concise scene. Yeah, and you can do that without affecting any sort of uh, naturalism or tone you're going for. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I just, there's, yeah, there's this weird sort of padded out, I guess is the best way for me to put it, nature of how this story is shown. And it, I think it just does a disservice to the flow. Um, my other, this is a little more specific, but it really bothered me how shady and like twitchy and obvious Dan Stevens performance when he gets to the island is. It's like, bro, be a little like, (laughs) like under the radar, buddy. Like you are so suspicious. His performance is like twit, like just twitch central, like. If I were on that island, I'd be like, um, alert, that guy's acting weird. Maybe he's the dude that we're all looking for. (laughs) Like, it's so over the top. I'm like, man, pull it together while you're in public until you get into your fucking room. And then you can be a weirdo. Like, go for it. Like, have it out. Like, drink your laudanum or or whatever that you're drinking. But, like, pull it together, (laughs) man. You're right. I was thinking that during it. I forgot about it. You're so right. Just like at every point during that first half or whatever, it kept feeling like they were, you were going to have a moment where they looked at him or discovered him. And like, even then, once he um kind of had his scapegoat with the other traitor in their <laughs> yeah. midst, he's still like, it was just so funny when Michael Sheen, you know, oh, we're blood brothers now. They're just so trusting of yeah, him. Yeah, he's and looking he's just, back at Michael Sheen, like, wide-eyed, like, oh, please don't catch me. It's yeah. like, dude, t- get it. Put it under wraps, man. You're, you got bigger fish to fry. Your sister is uh, hidden somewhere. Like, use it to your advantage and play it cool, dude. <laughs> like, you're so obvious. Hey, but it it worked out it for didn't him. Matter. They didn't catch on. <laughs> He's just new here. He's nervous. Yeah, man. God, it really bugged me out. I was (laughs) like, it just undercuts the believability and that's a problem. Like you can't, this is like a huge rule or lesson that I learned early on as an actor. You cannot play the end of the scene at the beginning of the scene. I know you, the actor, know it. You know how it's, where it's going to go. You know the end. But we can't know that you know, or else the scene doesn't work. And that's how I felt like the first like act of this movie was. I was like, he's showing his hand. Stop it. It's it's more interesting if he's compelled to leak, but is keeping himself tamped down. Like he's it's the same thing of like if you have a scene where somebody is dying for a drink. They're they're dying of thirst and they need a drink, but if they take the drink, they die. Watching them go through that struggle is what's compelling. 
not them going, yeah, <laughs> I really need a drink. You know, it's like, yeah, we know. Mm. We know. But if you have a drink, you'll die. So shut the fuck up and keep yourself, like, pull yeah. it yourself together and, like, go. let us watch you go through the struggle. It's just... Well, that was how his struggle looked. Was- I mean, no kidding. I think it just, to me, what this is indicative of is a director kind of not not reining an actor in to be like, yeah, I know that that's where you're at. Like, that's where you know your character's at, but we can't let on yet. So, like, keep that same energy, but cover. And we'll we'll be even more compelled. Whereas there's uh, the other characters or the other actors their their characters you they they're not they don't suck they don't need to have that constraint and so like as a director you could just be like okay michael sheen you're the shit so just and this character can do whatever just do your thing it just feels to me like gareth evans right yeah didn't want to rein dan stevens in maybe yeah, I mean, you could phrase it that way, but you, I, I guess more simply, his phrase is like he just wasn't considering it at all. Or right, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's just not a thing that he considered. Yeah, also very possible. And that's, you know, it's a criticism. I was going to say it's not a criticism. It's a criticism. <laughs> yeah, he's so as a director, he's so 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 good at these other things that it makes me feel like maybe he's overlooking this character thing. Because that's not his, that's not his concern. I will say, talking about what it feels indicative of, it just feels indicative of the movie that it is, and at yeah. the level, yeah, you're right. I was watching, yeah. It. No, that's very true. This is just a harmless fun, is what I'll keep saying. Um, I guess the other thing is the the. I think Lucy Boynton's character Boynton's character is underwritten and compared to everyone else yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the character is almost pointless. It's shoehorning in this sort of like maybe love interest at least something. It just feels a little two-dimensional reductive even if the, woman character. Right, even if the romance itself doesn't go anywhere, you still have to have the relationship or her presence go somewhere and it just never like does. She, yeah, like she is representing science literally in a faith-based community mm-hmm. and she never really has it out with her dad, the leader of the faith-based community. Maybe this movie used to be two hours and 40 minutes and <laughs> <Maybe>. she had, <laughs> there are all these other aspects going on. Yeah. But like if she's going to be the person in between the person who has lost their faith and the person who's trying to re- like hold on to their faith, there's lots of opportunity there and we just never get that thing. And so it <laughs> it bummed me out that it led us, the movie led us to this moment where she's chained up with Thomas's sister in this weird white brick room or white stone room. And Quinn is now overlording them. And this is a hugely flawed moment to me. We, the audience, know that Thomas has just burnt 
the witch entity. And so that entity no longer has power. But Quinn doesn't know that. And he threatens the women. He's like, I'm going to use you as like the blood bag for the island goddess entity. Ha 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 ha. And it's, it's, who cares? We, we, the audience know that that threat is empty. So it completely deflates the threat. Yeah. We should, that scene needed to happen before the witch is killed in order for it to have any weight whatsoever. And so when we have to stop Quinn, well, when they have to stop Quinn from doing that, the scene actually has stakes if, if that, if his success, uh, if their life is hinged on his success or failure. Mm-hmm. And I just felt really bummed because I was like, well, this scene is cool because like they get him and that's great and they get out. But the threat is, there is no threat. It's just them having to escape just to escape. It's not like if there's no stakes, if they don't escape, if they're unsuccessful in their attempt to kill him, they're really screwed. No, they're not. They're just going to like the islands burning down anyway. (laughs) Like whatever. (laughs) It felt kind of the same way. It felt deflated when everybody's running to leave the Island, which we don't see by the way, budget constraint. I don't know. Like we don't see anybody leaving the Island. It's all in the train shot at the beginning. (laughs) Right. So I'm sort of just felt so deflated in this last sequence. Even in Dan Steve, or sorry, in Thomas's like <laughs> confrontation with the the witch entity, I was like, ah, right. Is there any threat here anymore? Like, what are, what are the stakes? It just felt want want. So there's just I don't know. It bummed me out because I was like, man, you lots of missed opportunity like structural missed opportunity i don't know exactly how you would do it i mean i could go on and on about how i would restructure it to make it more effective for what i'm talking about but at the end of the day it just felt like a really cool balloon or lots of cool balloons got like inflated but all the balloons were um not tied together into a thing that was going to make us like lift the house off the ground they all just floated off into the into the air when the village when the village is burning down it's very much just like all right it's time for the village to burn down yeah (laughs) yeah it's just another cool thing it's time to wrap up great yeah so that all kind of bummed me out and that's you know that's really ultimately just where i'm like man what you really like you have incredible cast and i felt like none of them got to really you didn't get to get them where they could go. Like uh, Michael Sheen just falls into a pit. Right. I mean, along with the rest of the potential in this story, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Close. But no cigar. Yep. So there you go. That's all. I don't want to go on and on. But then I'll tell you what. The meat grinder scene is pretty fucking sweet grinder scene was good when his fingers get chopped off and that's what allows him to escape yeah that's good so you know take that for what it's worth (laughs) all right (laughs) i will we will and i agree 
largely How long everything was this you movie? said. 129. It's too long. It's too long to not come together in a thing. Yeah. That was you, you what I remember. You could have cut a half hour from this movie and had all the fun stuff. Honestly, that's what I remember feeling about The Raid 2 compared to The Raid 1. Oh, really? But I don't, maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. Great. Well, with all that, should we move on to our next section? Yeah. All right, here what we go. What do you think was in his little green bottle? Here we don't go. Um... I mean, that's a thing. Can I? Can we explore that in our next section? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Things of note. Things of note. <laughs> this should be interesting. What do you think was in its little green bottle? <laughs> yeah. Wait. You mentioned a drug, and that was a different bottle. Well, I don't. I mean, I just I'm throwing it out there. Absinthe, laudanum, morphine, laudanum. Opium. I mean, that just sounds right. <laughs> like it sounds old fashioned. Laudanum. Right. Like what the hell was it? It twists him right up, though. I'll tell you. Yeah. He gets real uh, slurry. I didn't really have many things of note. I just had. I thought it was funny how it reminded me of Troll Two, where you have <laughs> like a wow. like plant person monster sure. who's feeding off of people. Granted, in Troll 2, they first have to turn them into half-plant people before eating them. Right, right. So they have green blood versus red blood. But still, same idea of, like, plant people feeding off of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we didn't even really explore in any way. Maybe because it's just, it's just a thing. But the whole uh, Thomas Bean having been a missionary and going to... Uh, <laughs> China. Wait, there's this whole flashback sequence. It's so like intense, but like that's how he lost his faith because the I guess because the quote unquote savage Asian Eastern you know non whites taught him a lesson. I don't know, man. I didn't like that. He got the cross burned on his back. Yeah, I don't know. That something about that felt. Something. I mean, just in itself, having that flashback scene, I'm like, we don't need this. <laughs> no, we don't. I mean, there's a there's a historical context that I think is maybe a little interesting or noteworthy that it's, you, you know, Christian missionaries tried and failed yeah. in Asia uh, in the Boxer Rebellion. And that's a cool thing to go look up. Yep. It's totally messed up. This reminded me too of what was the other one we watched. Uh, was it Dark Waters? Maybe. Yeah. Do you remember that? I mean, I remember the movie. Yeah. <laughs> what What are you referencing in, in well, relation to it? Well, a movie about it? someone going to a religious cult island. There's a oh, monster yeah. matriarch at the Way head of it all. Mo- monster. Yeah. Sorry to say. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. Where else we've seen similar films and what we've watched. I kind of felt like maybe this movie would have been better served with a woman protagonist. Like in Dark Waters. Yeah. Maybe. I didn't put a... Oh. Okay. Rescuing the brother. 
Right, maybe. I don't know. That's I didn't put a ton of thought into it, but I it was a fleeting thought as we were watching it. I mean, typically I'll just like that better unless there's a reason for it not to be the case. Yeah. But I do love Dan Stevens, so so great. Cool. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. This movie was okay. <laughs> when all said and done, <laughs> that's that's where it took to get us to. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. I didn't hate it. I've hated some of the movies we've we've watched no. lately, and I I just yeah, this really is. It's just a like. That's why I a, said it's harmless fun. It really is. It's a Netflix stream. Now yeah. you could sit down and actually watch the movie. I I didn't feel like I needed to look at my phone. You know what I mean? I kind of just was like, all right. Exactly. Here we go. Perfect. Great man. That that moment when he. <laughs> When he like has a flash of kung fu, yeah. <laughs> Damn, son, I, I got real excited <laughs> when he escapes. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, got yeah. like he's being kind of uh, what do you call it? He's like almost stockaded with like a broom handle. I guess it's a spear, you know, over his shoulders and his arms are up, and he like goes down to one knee and like stabs a guy in the mouth and like breaks the 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 spear and like uses it as a weapon and it's like very cool yeah you're just like, like who is this you, guy dan stevens superhero just showed up <laughs> he's in a gareth Damn. Adams movie yeah i was really excited and then it was like okay now that scene's over <laughs> great i don't know well if that's it for apostle 2018 <laughs> yeah dude yeah dude that's it Great, then we can wind down with our recommendations for this episode. Hey, listen, if you, since you have not seen Dan Stevens, I recommended The Guest, oh, yeah. which is him, before. But I am happy to recommend Dead another thing with him. It's called Legion, and it's based off of the X-Men, Marvel X-Men, like, sub-characters in that. Legion is... Professor Xavier's son. And it was an FX show. I think they did three seasons. And I think it's done. I'm not sure. Uh, It's all the things that you want from Dan Stevens. He's got... It's uh, Just watch it, dude. It's crazy. I wanted to see it because of Aubrey Plaza's in it, right? Yeah. Cool. It's cool. It's wild. Smoke a joint, man. Smoke a joint and watch Legion. And watch all of Legion. All of it. (laughs) It's trippy. It's all about like, is it in his head? What's real? Is he powerful? Is he crazy? What like, it's all different realms. It's wild. Well, you should smoke a joint and watch The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. No, that's not my recommendation. (laughs) I watched it. (laughs) Yeah, what did you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's not and actually you know what it, it pissed me off and we can talk about this another time but in the most broad stroke i really i'm i'm upset by movies using a woman witch as the evildoer we, come on guys get with the times it's now is not the time for that <laughs> I mean, though, it's a Conjuring movie, man. It's I know. <laughs> also, I have a really strong opinion about the actual, um, what are their names? The 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 couple, Ed and Lorraine. Ed Warren. and Lorraine. 
I, I strongly believe that they're charlatans. And I strongly believe that using religious doctrine to further this sort of like good and evil fight thing is abusive. It's extreme in my mind. This is a, this is super editorial. I find it to be really, really abusive. You're taking young kids often and saying that they are infected with Satan, the evil of Satan, and they need to be cleansed. That to me, that's fucking abuse. I just can't. I help think but there's a think- context where maybe it's not, but I, I don't. I just don't buy that they're not. They're not charlatans. I mean, for me, that just leads to that it's not this or that, you know. Maybe. Because chances are, if they were charlatans, but famous ones, if you're open to that, any of these, that there are cases like this that have happened in reality, I just feel like at least one of them, they might have come across (laughs) that had some validity to it if you're open to that. Maybe, but... I was more, yeah, what you thought about the movie. I, Tim, I had a revelation. Well, that's what I thought, is that I couldn't get it past those feelings. Big, big news on my front, Tim, coming full circle. You liked it. Uh, I mean, it was fine. It was whatever. <laughs> it was, it was like the first one. Yeah. It is what it is. It's like this movie for me that we just watched. It's like, okay. it's silly, whatever. But no, specifically, Tim, Patrick Wilson, I enjoyed in this. Oh. And I think it's because of... because he had a heart attack. It's, <laughs> yeah, I felt <laughs> like bad for felt him. sympathy. It's actually because he broke his foot. In, in real life? Bone Tomahawk. What I'm saying <laughs> is... <laughs> yeah, Bone Tomahawk has caused you to turn the corner on seeing, Patrick Wilson. Yeah, seeing him in Bone Tomahawk, <laughs> I could see him for who he is and what his deal is. Versus I don't think it was fair at all to base everything, all my opinions on him, on Patrick Wilson, on just The Conjuring 2, which was all <laughs> I had seen him in. Fair enough. So there you go. If you've been with okay. us from, I believe, episode two, then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two or three it was. Come oh full circle. God. Patrick Wilson, you're all right. Maybe. <laughs> what maybe do you mean, not. Maybe what? Maybe he's a real dickhead in real life. No, you know what I mean. <laughs> I've come to this point in my life where every hero of mine, I just, I no longer believe in heroes. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I expect to be disappointed by anybody I admire. Yeah. Which is a sad place to well, be. Well, it's, uh, you appreciate them for whatever the you flawed can. Yeah. beings that we all are. I've I still got my recommendation I got to do. Oh, it's not the Conjuring. No, the devil I told you as soon it. as I said that. <laughs> it's right. not that. That's right. <laughs> uh, what an episode this has been! What a wild ride we've been <laughs> on. We did some Star Wars. We did some Conjuring. We took a break. You don't know that, listener, but we did. We took a couple breaks. We had some laundry to do. We had to get, pick up a car. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, this has been quite the the morning slash afternoon. And I can't think of a better way to wrap it up than bringing Wes Anderson into the fray. <laughs> because, Amazing. Yes. <laughs> because I've been, uh, I wanted to revisit some of his movies. Because it's what you do. He's a very, I, I, I have a deep, deep love for Wes Anderson. I had not seen Life Aquatic and Darjeeling Limited since mm. theaters 
Okay. So I specifically was wanting to revisit those. And I I almost just want to recommend them both. They're great, but I beautiful, I, beautiful I, movies. I sincerely like love both of them so much this time. I'll say yeah. maybe my viewing of Darjeeling Limited was a little more special. I loved both equally, but I'll just for whatever reason pick the Darjeeling Limited okay. as my uh specific recommendation. But I, I do I did love both the same. But the revelation in there is not just that they're great, but on the first viewing, I just realized how much it was affected by you see a trailer for a new Wes Anderson movie and you get some sort of expectation for what it's going to be. Which is and, almost inevitably based on the last Wes Anderson movie you watched. Right, which then you're just also combined with, then you're just waiting, or at least I am, just for the trailer moments to happen. And it's like you aren't yeah. even taking in anything in between. That is a problem. So those two movies... We need, we need to change the culture <laughs> of trailers. Right, so those two <laughs> movies before you know, Moonrise Kingdom, then Grand Budapest came out, which really blew me away. Grand uh, Budapest is like my hands down favorite. I of think his. Moon, Moonrise Kingdom is mine. Awesome. And I love his stop motion films too. Yeah, they're cool. Uh, but anyway, it was great to revisit them after so long and see just how consistent of a filmmaker he is. And uh, yeah, yeah, that started for me recently with a viewing since theaters of the Darjeeling Limited, which is my recommendation. I really have been wanting to do marathons and i there's a handful of different types of marathons that i'd like to do one is like the sort of the what i would consider the the 40s 50s like class what i consider the classics the sort of on the waterfronts place in the sun from here to eternity like that era of movie maybe you could call that the golden age of hollywood sort of marathon um and i also wanted to do the harry potter i just know do the for front and back I'm harry so potter tempted by those harry potter movies um, sitting there and i really want to do wes anderson in order like from bottle rocket just go one you know well sit, you should sit down and do them see when the french dispatch is coming out and have it lead up to that oh that's a good idea yeah yeah i want to do a saw a thon I know it's on every. Oh my every, god! Everyone's doing That's a great it. Great idea. The new spiral, but I haven't seen past the first saw. Uh, I think I saw. <laughs> saw. God damn it! The fourth one. I think I stopped at the fourth one. Well, there you go. Anyway, no, I've been doing that. Different filmmakers recently. It's fun. Great. All right. Cool, dude. Well, this is a real adventure. Thank you. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Ryan and listener. You know who you are. Yes, listener. I'm speaking individually to the one listener listening right now. I know you know you know which one I'm talking about. It's you. Indeed, you. Yes, you. Well, Tim, we gotta decide what they are gonna join us for next week. Okay. I, I actually want you to tell me when to stop, but you know, even, even though, though it's your turn. Even though it's my turn, I need I need guidance. So I'm just gonna go like this. Stop. Night of the Demons. Didn't we watch that already? <laughs> no. Oh, no. This is the 80s one. Yeah. We watched Night of the Demon or exactly. Curse of the Demon. This is Night of the Demons from 1988. Very exciting. <laughs> Tim holds his finger up to note. In fact, this is very exciting. <laughs> I, let me point out with my one finger in the air. I'm very excited. 
I think this was from the In Search of Darkness documentary. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, somebody I worked with got super excited when I I told her that I was doing this podcast. She was like, ah, you know what my favorite like one is? Night of the Demons. And I was like, wait. <laughs> Great. Really? <laughs> Cool. There's apparently a Night of the Demons 2 from 94 and a Night of the Demons 3 from 97. So we could just keep it going depending on how this one goes. We'll just just add those numbers after we watch this one. We'll put two in the hat. Great. I'm excited. Cool. Until next week for Night of the Demons, you can find us wherever you found us. Our big ask is if you enjoyed being here, so tell a friend. Though if not, that's fine too. We're happy to have you here all the same. Great. Is that it, Tim? Anything else? That's it. All right. Well, thanks for being here, guys. In closing, uh, we wish you luck saving your sister from a cult island uh, with a witch, uh, zombie, monster, nature tree person at the helm. (laughs) Yeah. And thanks for listening. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.